So you guys have probably heard of or seen Matt Walsh's now famous documentary, What is a Woman?, which is kind of the pivotal question he uncovered to frustrate and thwart and reveal some of the illogic at the heart of the transgender extremist movement. And today I want to ask you another, perhaps even simpler question that I think touches upon the heart of our, really all our political debates, but especially our debate over abortion. And that is, what is a person or who is a person? And perhaps even more importantly, who is a human being? And as I ask this question, I want to invite you guys in on a thought process that I've been going through, kind of a journey that I'm on. And I kind of call this, you know, the Federalist reconsiders, a Federalist reconsiders, because when it comes to abortion and indeed when it comes to most of the major issues that sort of trouble us in our national crisis, my instinct is what you would call a federalist instinct. That is, I really refer a lot to those early federalist papers, Madison Federalist 10 especially, um, and this notion that as the country grew, which was the way for it to stay free, was for it to expand in territory, right? Um, and, and the reason that would help is because you'd get all these little different pockets of kind of communities and uh, subgroups and areas and especially states where people would do things differently. And that would leave a lot of latitude for different practices, different experiments, as they now call them experiments in democracy. Um, and indeed, it would make it impossible for any one majority or any one giant coalition to tyrannize the others, right, to gather. In order to really make something important happen, you would have to get a majority together and that would mean compromise. It would mean working within your state, in your localities and so forth. And that's exactly the system that I defended last episode when I was talking about how Wilson, Woodrow Wilson and the progressives kind of hated all of that. Um, and, and so that's my instinct. My instinct with any of these issues is, well, stop talking about them in these big capital letter terms, right? Stop making these broad sweeping declarations like Obama did in the Dear Colleague letter that, well, trans people must be in bathrooms, right? Stop, stop deciding these things on the national level and let people work them, work them out in their local communities. I mean, uh, we're going to do, do things differently out here in, uh, in Nashville and Tennessee and other people. People are going to do things differently in, in California. And that's how the country's supposed to work so that you can move if you don't like it and so forth. So that's my always my instinct. And all this time that Roe has been in place, the major issue on the table for me has been get this thing overturned because it thwarted that democratic process. It thwarted the people's ability to elect representatives who would make laws that would reflect uh, their beliefs and their principles. And uh, so, so when this Dobbs decision came down that overturned Roe and Casey, you know, my initial instinct was like, great, now we can be, now it's back to the states. We can be a federalist country again. But I have been thinking, and Liz has been a part of my thinking on this, listening to Liz and talking with her, um, that actually there's another part to this. There's another dimension because federalism isn't the last word on our system. It's not the only part of our system. And, and Madison and the founders didn't intend for it to be because, of course, there are some things that states can't rightly decide to do. You can't say that a state, you know, has the power to uh, make laws about, say, oh, I don't know, murder, right? The state can can make, does in fact make law, states do in fact make laws about murder. Um, and yet there would be certain laws that they could make that would violate uh, the, the Declaration's promise of a right to life and the Constitution's, you know, enumerated rights as well as the unenumerated rights, right? And so for instance, if you said, well, you know, murder, if, if the state of uh, Nebraska decided, I'm just pulling one out of a hat, the state of Nebraska decided murder is, uh, is legal as long as you kill 
uh, a Mexican person, right? That would not be a law that could stand. This court would have to strike that down. It would be unconstitutional. And so there is a limit. And the limit is the limit of moral absolutes upon which our nation is founded. There are certain things, certain lines you can't cross without going further than the country is created to go, right? The country has certain limits inherent in it, in its constitution. um, And there are certain lines you can't cross without basically transforming the country beyond recognition into a different country. And so what I want to explore with you today is the question, is abortion such an issue? Is abortion something that is so fundamental, that touches on such such fundamental questions of personhood that it must be decided, eventually at least, at the federal level. I'm Spencer Clavin, and this is The Liz Wheeler Show. Now, I like Dormeo because really good, really nice mattresses are crazy expensive, but I still want to sleep on a bed that feels really good and really nice. Now, if you suffer from achy hips, back, or shoulders, then you have to try the premium mattress topper by Dormeo. At a fraction of the cost of a new mattress, you can get that new bed feeling without having to buy a new bed. Their smart body zoning helps create better support for your body while you sleep. That means no more waking up with unexpected aches and pains that you didn't have the night before. Their mattress topper has a full range of sizes from twin all the way through king. They even have RV sizes and a new split head king. And it's perfect for everything from an adjustable base to a spare bed in the guest room to couches, futons, and boats. Basically, if you can sleep on it, they probably have a mattress topper for it. Plus, Dormeo is known for their incredible customer service. Don't believe me? Well, give them a call. Message them on their website and be amazed at how fast they respond. Let me tell you, they sent me one and I love it. I think you will too. Right now, you go if you go to dormeo.com slash Liz, my URL, you will receive 30% off your Dormeo mattress topper. That's a really good deal, guys. It's the best offer that you'll find anywhere, but you have to go to my URL, dormeo.com slash Liz. It's spelled D-O-R-M-E-O dot com slash Liz. Remember, with their 10-year warranty and a 100-night risk-free trial plus free shipping, it's crazy not to give Dormeo a try. So I'm back again, as I said last time, Liz is traveling, and it's my pleasure and my honor to fill in for her. And I thought that since you guys have been following her excellent analyses of the Dobbs v. Jackson women's health decision, um, and since she's been mentioning a little bit about her belief that this, you know, that we now need to pursue a federal remedy for the evil of abortion, I thought I would share with you, uh, and maybe you have been having some of these thoughts too, I thought I would share with you some of my internal debate. Um, and that's why I called this a federalist reconsiders, right? Um, and, and so to get into it first, right, let me, um, let me just review with you what I understand to become some of the core issues at the heart of these various Supreme Court cases to do with abortion. And it goes back, of course, to 1973 and Roe v. Wade. And in Roe v. Wade, Justice Harry Blackmun, a Nixon appointee, um, wrote what I believe to be one of the most catastrophically bad Supreme Court decisions. Um, certainly certainly one of the worst since uh, Dred Scott, which we're going to get into as well. Um, but it, 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 one of the crucial things, you know, the whole idea was that there's a right to privacy. Um, it's, it's not explicitly enumerated, but it's read into, among other places, the 14th amendment and substantive due process, which is the act not just of protecting procedural rights, but specific rights that uh, the court uh, names, such as the right to abortion, the supposed right to abortion, right? Um, Blackman decided that this right, the supposed right to abortion, um, meant that the word person, as he said, the word person as used 
in the 14th Amendment doesn't apply to unborn babies. Um, and he did this because he wanted basically to make the claim that the state has an interest in, you know, bas in basically protecting the mother's uh, total autonomy over what's c considered in pro-abortion rhetoric to be her own body. And, you know, we on the pro-life side know it not to be her own body. It's it's an, a new body with a, a unique genetic code comes into being from conception. But that's the whole question at issue. The whole question at issue is, are you dealing with two people? Because people all men in our founding philosophy, right? All men are created equal and endowed with their, by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which is the right to life. And so this, this fundamental question, right, is, is really the, the only question that the pro-life side wants to stress, right? All of these different difficult cases that they raise, well, what if it, the life of the mother is threatened, right? Uh, what about cases of rape, right? Um, those are difficult questions. There are the tiny minority of abortions that are actually performed, but they are difficult questions. But the reason they're not actually the main thing is because the fundamental question is, are you adjudicating? Are you weighing and balancing the rights of two individuals, each granted by the sovereign creator, the right to life? Um, and if that's true, right, then it changes every conversation you would have about any abortion. It's going to mean that most abortions, right, involve killing a person, are killing a person, and, and must be illegal. Um, and, and some edge cases, tragic contingencies, like when the mother's life is threatened, right, there, there, there will be exceptions in place, as indeed there already were in abortion law before Roe, right? Um, but Blackman swept that question off the table, said this, this the word person does not apply. Uh, these, these beings that live in the womb are not granted the protection of the Declaration, the promises of the Declaration, or the protection of the Constitution. Um, they don't get any of that. And so it was effectively unpersoning an entire class of people. And that's why abortion was never going to be safe, legal, and rare, right? That's why it was never about those edge cases. Those were all distractions. All of those, you know, uh, highly emotional examples that they brought out, the cases of rape, the cases of, of uh, you know, of of maternal death. Those were all um, distractions from the main issue at hand, which was, is this a person, right? And that's the question that uh, pro-lifers have been trying to stress over and over and over again. And that's why the pro-life movement adopted all of these tactics, like, you know, showing uh, ultrasounds, showing what it looks like to do an abortion, the gruesome horrors of what it looks like to do an abortion. Um, because science was giving us these new tools to understand what goes on when, when a, a, a baby comes into being, right? Um, this wasn't always known. And actually, in even before Roe, the American Medical Association was saying, you know, I don't think that people understand. We, the, uh, the the medical association, don't think that people understand what's at stake in an abortion because they haven't been made acquainted with the new science, the genetics and the ultrasound images that show us the unique nature of this being and its inevitable development into a full-fledged baby, right? Um, even if it looks like an embryo at this stage, even if it is an embryo at this stage, it's still a uniquely genetically characterized person. Right. Um, and so this is a way in which Roe was kind of actually scientifically regressive. It, it just looked away from all of that new evidence and said, we're just not going to talk about whether this is a person. And so this is now uh, newly available for us to stress. Right. Because now the left is going to have to reveal its true colors that it basically thinks because these aren't people, you can abort them like, you know, you can basically kill babies before they can become fully conscious or something. You know, any, any of these kind of extreme cases like uh, Governor Northam or uh, Pete Buttigieg have all said varyingly gruesome things about how late you can kill a baby. And that's the reason is because the fundamental question at stake is, is this 
a human person, a human being, um, because our regime, if it means anything at all, if America means anything at all, it means that everyone that is a person from the moment he exists is guaranteed by God the right to life. And the government cannot take that right away. The powerful cannot take that right away for their own interests. And once you begin to say, well, certain kinds of people aren't really people, um, then you enable yourself to do all of the horror. I mean, every major atrocity has been basically a function of, of defining certain people out of out of personhood. So today I want to look at what the Dobbs decision says about the personhood question. And then I want to look at past times in our history, i.e. slavery, when we have denied personhood to others. And then I want to look at the implications of that uh, for the necessity of maybe not just letting states uh, decide that you can that you can kill unborn babies up to the moment of birth or, or whatever. Um, and the, the potential necessity in this instance, not of abandoning federalism altogether, but of saying there are limits to federalism and this might be one of them. Okay, let's get into it. All right, now I like GenuCell because it works. How old does your mirror say that you are? Ladies and gentlemen, you can actually delay asking yourself this question for 10, even 15 years with the new Ultra Retinol Serum from GenuCell. I often have one next to me, by the way, but I think I poached it to use it. So you'll have to use your imagination. (laughs) Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, loved this product so much. Let me read to you what she wrote to us. She said, great product. My skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she writes, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina is flying high with GenuCell's new Ultra Retinol Serum with hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. Go If you go to GenuCell.com right now, then you can get up to 50% off the brand new Ultra Retinol Serum. You're gonna be amazed with the results or your money back. You'll also get GenuCell's immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less. It's free with your order if you use my URL, genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. Free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service, genucel.com slash Liz. So we have a number of decisions in this Dobbs case, right? And and we've got Alito's leading opinion, uh, the opinion of the court. And then we have, you know, uh, concurring opinions from a number of of people. We have, uh, I'm going to read to you from from Kavanaugh's, but we also have Thomas's, which is very controversial and so forth. Um, But let me first read to you about uh, the personhood in Alito's opinion. Um, he, He writes, Our opinion is not based on any view about if and when prenatal life is entitled to any of the rights enjoyed after birth. The dissent, by contrast, would impose on the people a particular theory about when the rights of personhood begin. According to the dissent, the Constitution requires the states to regard a fetus as lacking even the most basic human right to live, at least until an arbitrary point in pregnancy has passed. That arbitrary point, by the way, is viability, right, which is a a made-up thing. It's when the baby can supposedly survive outside the womb. But of course, you know, all of us at times need help to survive outside the womb. So when is viability really? And, you know, it's it's a moving target and it's not actually a a philosophical line having anything to do with with personhood, right? So there's nothing in the Constitution or in our nation's legal traditions authorizes the court to adopt that theory of life. And there's a way in which this is beautiful. And then there is a way in which, to me, it, it is sadly lacking, right? The beautiful thing is to, to deny this evil Blackman uh, ruling that these aren't people, right? This unpersoning of, of the babies. Um, 
what he's saying is we're just not taking any any stance. The Constitution doesn't say what a person is, doesn't define a person. Um, it just takes for granted that there are people and and that, as the Declaration says, they are endowed with certain inalienable rights. Right. And then it enumerates some of those rights and it leaves others um, uh, unenumerated. Right. But but uh, Alito is saying so. Therefore, uh, since our job is to interpret the Constitution, um, we are not tasked with the job, therefore, of saying what a person is, what that word person means. Um, and, and Kavanaugh's uh, concurrence kind of goes further in this direction. He says abortion is a profoundly difficult and contentious issue because it presents an irreconcilable conflict between the interests of a pregnant woman who seeks an abortion and the interests in protecting fetal life. The interests on both sides of the abortion issue are extraordinarily weighty. On the one side, many pro-choice advocates forcefully argue that the ability to obtain an abortion is critically important for women's professional and personal lives and for women's health. They contend that the widespread ability of abortion has been essential for women to advance in society and to achieve greater equality over the last 50 years. And they maintain that women must have the freedom to choose for themselves whether to have an abortion. On the other side, many pro-life advocates forcefully argue that a fetus is a human life. They contend that all human life should be protected as a matter of human dignity and fundamental morality. And they stress that a significant percentage of Americans with pro-life views are women. When it comes to abortion, one interest must prevail over the other at any given point in a pregnancy. Now, I want to pause here, right? Because, you know, again, these these uh, Supreme Court justices are being uh, totally diplomatic, totally uh, agnostic on this question of personhood. And I want to I'm going to get in a little later into why that might be, whether this is really what they believe or um, or whether this is just how far they thought they could go at this time. Um, but fundamentally, right, when Kavanaugh outlines the pro-abortion, uh, the pro-choice cause, right, um, he lists all of these other interests that might weigh against the life of the baby. The, the you know, and, and this is Blackman did this too, right? The the economic interests, the um, you know, prefer, personal and professional lives. It might be distressing to have a baby, right? Um, women's health is slightly is a slightly different one because you could get in there to issues of life of the mother. But all of these other interests, right? If it's a person, they don't matter. Now, it's not that those things don't matter full stop. It matters that women should have, you know, free lives. It matters that women should should have, you know, economic fulfillment and stability and all those things matter, right? But can you think of any other instance in which you would say, you know, my economic interest outweighs your personhood, right? If if the baby is a person, then you certainly can't kill him for any of the reasons that are basic are typically listed. And that's why things like the right to privacy are so irrelevant, right? You say, well, the right to privacy, women, women has autonomy over her own body, has a right to privacy. Literally nobody denies that. There's literally no one out there being like rubbing his hands together and saying, I want to take away women's right to privacy. That's what I want. I don't think women should have privacy. I don't think that women should have right to control control their own bodies, right? What, what the pro-life side is saying is you have all of those rights, right? But they don't cancel out the right of any other person to live, right? And so you can't extinguish a human life within your body um, simply because of all these other things that you choose to gain. And down that road, madness lies, right? Um, and this is why the, per the personhood issue is the heart of the abortion question. There's really nothing else to be discussing here. Um, and, and, you know, the, the question whether or not this is a human being resolves almost all of the, the questions that we have. There will be other questions that are raised, right? Other difficult questions like, you know, if the mother's about to die and so forth. And those, those do seem to me like things that um, the, the, the states could, you know, help to come to good and humane decisions. Like, I, I certainly don't think personally that you should ever require a mother to die to have a baby, right? That's just, that that would be inhuman. And that's what the the pro-abortion uh, side accuses us of, is that you're just pro-birth and you want to kill, you want mothers to die. And it's like, nobody, again, nobody wants that. We're asking here 
when when the declaration says all men are created equal and when the constitution guarantees certain certain rights to americans right as as humans uh, being created in the image of god right and when the government the american government exists to protect those god-given rights right who is it talking about? Who is included? Right. And and that is why I want to take a kind of young heretics journey now. Um, my, my my podcast, Young Heretics, which I run, if you, if you haven't checked it out yet, I hope you will after this. Come come wherever you get your podcast or youngheretics.com. Um, come check out the show, um, because one of the things I like to do is I like to ask, you know, when these fundamental philosophical questions come before us in in national life, right? Um, one way that we can get a better read on them uh, is by pulling back the camera. And, you know, you don't have to always be fighting the latest political fight. You can pull back the camera and you can say, well, these are actually perennial questions, questions like, you know, who is endowed with the right to life? Who is a human being? What is a human being? What is man? Ancient question, right? Man is a rational animal is kind of a classic answer to this. Um, and so if a baby is such a thing as to, you know, is, is the belongs to the species rational animal, even if it's not yet rational, right? It, it is that kind of thing. Um, is the, does that make it a person? I would say that's a pretty good argument. So this sort of thing, these young heretics deep dives, right, onto, um, onto questions that underlie our, our news stories. Um, that's what I'd like to do a little bit of with you now, um, because people make a lot of different parallels to the abortion issue in America, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And, you know, even within specific parallels, you can you can use them well or badly. Um, but one parallel that does matter, one historical parallel that really matters both for our national politics and for, uh, you know, for the, for the question of states' rights and for the question of personhood is the question of slavery. And there too, right, we have a question at stake it is a certain category of of human beings to be afforded the nature of personhood in our law, right, and therefore defended and endowed with uh, those rights for life, or rather, since they are persons, if they are persons, they are endowed with those rights, right. And so the question is, will our government recognize correctly who those people are, and that they are human, and that they are uh, beloved of God and endowed with with rights, right. And and this this religious talk, right, you know, it's not like I'm saying that in order to oppose abortion, you have to be a Catholic or even you know you could even be there were secularists who who recognize there are secularists who recognize that science teaches us this is a person right um but when i'm using this religious language just remember i'm just using the language of our founders right our founders did not say that there was you know no place for god in the public square they said that the, there's no place for the government to decide which religion which sect is the right sect right but we are nevertheless founded philosophically on the notion that human beings are created in the image of god and created therefore with rights to life, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there's no getting around that, right? So when I, when I use that religious language, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this is the country we're in. Um, we have to accept whatever messy consequences there might be of the endowment with uh, uh, of rights, right, to every person. And believe me, there's lots of messy and inconvenient consequences. And that's why people try to unperson other groups of people, right? And so this is what slavery was. It was an economic uh, proposition and indeed a, um, a sort of a, a moral proposition as well. Uh, that for the advantage of a certain class of people, namely white Americans, right, um, a whole other group of people could be declared not not human. And so I want to look at some of the arguments that took place, especially uh, between Stephen Douglas, who was the kind of, um, you know, popular sovereignty, expand slavery if the states vote for it guy, uh, the opponent of Abraham Lincoln and why Lincoln, as he uh, matched up and argued against Douglas, why he came to believe that this slavery could not be allowed to spread in America. Um, and indeed, that it was an offense per se to our uh, to our founding and, and to the nature of our country. And then I'm going to bring that back to the abortion debate and, and see what it has to say about this question of federalism. So let's talk about slavery, Lincoln and Douglas. 
Now, did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain? It can cause mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity. And if you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, that is linked to reduced white blood cell count. I don't need to tell you that white blood cells are important. They protect your body against illness and disease. They fight virus, bacteria, and more. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. Well, the good news is a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing to you Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called their Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. All you do is you just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir it, and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime, and you will find out why so many people, including the world's top athletes like Danica Patrick and Baker Mayfield, rave about this product. If you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com Liz. If you use my promo code Liz at checkout, it is B-E-A-M, organics.com slash Liz, beamorganics.com slash Liz, and use my promo code Liz, L-I-Z, at checkout for $20 off. You need a better night's sleep to function in this crazy world. Try Beam Dream, beamorganics.com slash Liz, promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Now, remember, we, what we are saying here is the country is founded on a, a radical idea. And I say radical in the in the sense uh, that comes from its etymology. The Latin word radix means going down to the root. Um, and so these are first principles, right? A basic idea that applies no matter what, right? And, and one of those is right, that human beings have rights, that those rights are inalienable, and that one of them is the right to life. If you're a human being, if you're a person, you're included in the Constitution, and the Constitution creates a government that protects your God-given rights, right? Um, and this is, you know, not a given. The plenty of societies, indeed, many high civilizations, including that of Sparta, for instance, didn't think that all, all babies could live. They, they, would, they would execute some babies if they didn't seem like they, they sort of merited participation in the state. Um, this is not a given. It's not a guarantee. It is a fundamental absolute truth, however, right? Um, and the thing about fundamental absolute truths is that they become inconvenient for us fallen men from time to time. Why do they become inconvenient? Well, mostly for reasons of economics um, and, and prejudice, right? So when, uh, when I say that, you know, the, the, these arguments based on, you know, women's economic participation uh, fall flat, I mean, because you actually can't make an economic argument for why somebody, why it would be better if somebody wasn't a person, right? More convenient, right? You can't make that argument. Um, and similarly, you can't make it based on prejudice because if somebody doesn't look like you, uh, doesn't necessarily mean he's not a person. Um, and, and so let's talk about how this debate took shape between Lincoln and Douglas, because it will bring us to this question of, of states' rights and fundamental issues, right? Um, so famously, there were, there were, uh, there were the Lincoln-Douglas debates, a series of debates, um, both of them from Illinois, right? Douglas and Lincoln, both from Illinois. Um, and, and Douglas, uh, one of the uh, candidates from the Democrats, uh, who were the slavery party, right? Um, and, and Lincoln, uh, the, the Republican, rising in the ranks, right, uh, to become a Republican president. But before that, right, he's up against Douglas, who was a judge, now a senator, right? Um, and he's in this, in this series of debates uh, that focuses, it kind of circles in on the Dred Scott Supreme Court decision. And uh, Dred Scott, one of the most infamous Supreme Court decisions, right? Roe, I, I was saying, one of the most, Roe is one of the most infamous since Dred Scott. Um, and this is the decision that Dred Scott himself, the escaped slave, could not claim the rights of citizenship. Um, and, and here's what Douglas has 
to say about this decision. He says, Mr. Lincoln's main objection to the Dred Scott decision uh, is that it was intended to deprive the Negro of the rights of citizenship in the different states of the Union. Well, suppose it was, and there is no doubt that that was its legal effect. What is his objection to it? Why, he thinks that a Negro ought to be permitted to have the rights of citizenship. He is in favor of Negro citizenship and opposed to the Dred Scott decision because it declares that a Negro is not a citizen and hence is not entitled to vote. Here, I have a direct issue with Mr. Lincoln. I am not in favor of Negro citizenship. I do not believe that a Negro is a citizen or ought to be a citizen. I believe, and here is the, the, the you know, Douglas saying fully his, his main principle of how he understands the, uh, America, right? I believe that this government of ours was founded and wisely founded upon the white basis. It was made by white men for the benefit of white men and their posterity to be executed and managed by white men. I freely concede that humanity requires us to extend all the protection, all the privileges, all the immunities to the Indian and the Negro, which they are capable of enjoying, consistent with the safety of society. You may then ask me, what are those rights? What is the nature and extent of the rights which a Negro ought to have? My answer is that this is a question for each state and each territory to decide for itself. This is Douglas's version of popular sovereignty. And again, I want to be careful. Don't get don't get confused because sometimes we say popular sovereignty, we just mean that sovereignty rests with the people to uh, to elect legislators who will make laws. Right. Um, and, and that I believe. Right. That's Republic. That's having a republic. Um, popular sovereignty in in Calhoun's estimation. Sorry, let's try this again. Popular sovereignty in Douglas's estimation is that every moral and legal question can simply be decided by majority. The people are to decide within their states um, by majority vote. Uh, and by by majority vote for legislators who will then make make laws, right? Um, the people are to decide how to resolve every question, including questions like this, questions of personhood. Um, and 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 you'll see, right, that he has basically a 1619 view of the country, right? This is what they always accuse the founders of being, you know, systemic racists and stuff. But it was the founders' opponents, and it was Lincoln's opponents, because Lincoln was, you know, bringing forth an interpretation of the founding. It was Lincoln's uh, opponents who argued that the country was founded on racism, founded on the white basis, right? Um, and he's saying that, you know, people, the, the Negro should not be a citizen. Um, and it's up to states to decide what kind of rights they get. So they just vote, you know, according to their, uh, to to what they think is is sort of right. And they, they make these decisions in a kind of, uh, you know, at a kind of uh, state level and it's a sort of state level way. Um, and you see why now I'm raising this slavery issue, not just because it has to do with questions of personhood, but because those questions of personhood translate inevitably into questions of how far states' rights can extend. It is inevitable that if you start asking who is a person who falls under the protection of the Constitution, uh, you're going to be asking questions that uh, that challenge the limits of how much states can really uh, deviate amongst themselves, how many, how much states can just sort of experiment and decide according to their own uh, their own lights and, and majority rule. Right. So that's popular sovereignty, uh, which is which is, again, that's the Douglas uh, approach here. Popular sovereignty for him goes all the way down to the ground. Right. Every question is to be resolved in this way by a majority of the legislators who are chosen by a majority of the people. Right. Um, that's him. That's that, that. And let's now listen to Lincoln's response. Right. Because Lincoln comes back um, 
And and people note, you know, how how Lincoln was able to, you know, reveal the implications of Douglas's arguments here. Um, but they don't note as often that, you know, fighting against Douglas also revealed the implications of Lincoln's beliefs because Lincoln evolved, too, as he made his way to the presidency. Um, and he began right with this idea that there are there are certain moral absolutes. Right. Um, and that personhood is, is, you know, one of the things that you can't just sort of take away from people. And gradually it was it was gradually that this became a civil war level conflict for him um, because he was realizing that indeed, you know, the, the spread of slavery, even at, you know, even just letting slaves, even just letting states decide whether or not they were going to hold slaves, um, inherently challenged the found fundamental principles of the country as he understood them as and as I indeed believe they are rightly understood. So here is a speech, um, the Peoria speech, from 1854. Um, and it's it's a very another very, very famous speech. And it's reacting here to the what Lincoln understood to be the repeal of the Missouri Compromise. Now, the Missouri Compromise drew a line right above which no new states were going to be able to have slavery. And below the that line, there could there could be slaves. Um, but what happened uh, essentially is that there was a territory that got divided into two states, Kansas and and Nebraska. Um, and, and they both got slaves. They were both allowed to choose uh, whether whether they could have slaves. And this was, for Lincoln, this represented the repeal of the Missouri Compromise. He says, um, letting slavery into Kansas and, and Nebraska, he says in the speech, is wrong in its prospective principle, allowing it to spread to every other part of the wide world where men can be found inclined to take it. This declared indifference, but as I must think, covert zeal for the spread of slavery, I cannot but hate. I hate it because of the monstrous injustice of slavery itself. I hate it because it deprives our Republican example of its just influence in the world, enables the enemies of free institutions with plausibility to taunt us as hypocrites, causes the real friends of freedom to doubt our sincerity, and especially because it forces so many really good men amongst ourselves into an open war with the very fundamental principles of civil liberty, criticizing the Declaration of Independence and insisting that there is no right principle of action but self-interest. Equal justice to the South, it is said, requires us to consent to the extending of slavery to new countries. That is to say, inasmuch as you do not object to my taking my hog to Nebraska, therefore I must not object to you taking your slave. Now, I admit this is perfectly logical if there is no difference between hogs and Negroes. But while you thus require me to deny the humanity of the Negro, I wish to ask whether you of the South yourselves have ever been willing to do as much. It is kindly provided that all of the, of all those who come into the world, only a small percentage are natural tyrants. That percentage is no larger in the slave states than in the free. The great majority, South as well as North, have human sympathies of which they can no more divest themselves than they can of their sensibility to physical pain. These sympathies in the bosoms of the Southern people manifest in many ways their sense of the wrong of slavery and their consciousness that, after all, there is humanity in the Negro. I'm sorry, I get, I get a little choked up reading Lincoln because, you know, this man was such a giant. He was faced with such a terrible crisis and the implications of following out the logic of his thought, of his belief in the real declaration, the real principles of the founding, um, was so daunting to him that it took him a long time. And yet he was willing to stand by it even unto, not just even unto war, but even unto death, 
because, of course, he would eventually be assassinated for carrying this logic further and further. And Douglas was saying, you know, the Republicans are abolitionists. And he meant by that that their principles implied abolition, that you couldn't go, uh, you couldn't even let slavery exist anywhere in the country because of what Lincoln believed about personhood. And he was saying, you know this in your hearts. You know this to be true. You are not natural tyrants. You are being uh, basically led by the nose because of the convenience to you, your, your basic indifference and the, the economic convenience to a few of you of, of unpersoning a whole group of people. But you don't do that because you believe they're not people. You do that because you think it will bring you economic gain and because you think it doesn't really matter that much to you. And this is something that um, my uh, my friend and colleague at the Claremont Institute, uh, Lucas Morell, I was just at the um, the Publius Fellowship where uh, we do some teaching and some some lecturing for for young people on the right. And uh, I was listening to Morell and you can read his books on this. They're really, really magnificent. So I have to recommend this because I'm, I'm cribbing from some of his arguments here when I say that the point Lincoln was making to his fellow white people was that you are being deceived when you are told that you can make slavery a matter of indifference. Once you allow, well, it's okay for a majority to deprive a certain group of people of their personhood legally, right? Um, because that will be convenient for me, right? You don't think there's any danger of you being enslaved in this moment, right? Because you're in the majority. But that is why Lincoln called this the tyranny of the majority. It was not, in fact, a matter of popular sovereignty in the good sense, in the sense that the people are allowed to decide how to govern themselves. Your freedom does not extend beyond the rights of your fellow man. And that's the principle of the country that limits federalism, that limited the Douglas notion of popular sovereignty, which just let all moral issues be decided in this kind of relativistic way, depending on who was in the majority. Another word for the majority that decides right over over the rights of others is simply rule by strength. And that is tyranny. That's why it was the tyranny of the majority. That's why slavery could not be a matter of indifference um, and why ultimately it turned out right that it was going to have to go altogether. It could not stand. Um, and of course, it's emotional even to think about in, in this moment, but it's emotional also um, to think about what's, what the implications of are for us today, because the next thing I want to talk about, right, is, you know, the looming question, well, what happened with slavery was war, right? Um, and nobody wants that, or at least I certainly don't want that. Um, and so let's ask now, right, uh, as, as somebody with, with federalist sympathies who wants to, people basically to be able to govern themselves in local communities and make decisions on the basis of their, you know, areas and their states, um, what does this mean for, for the future and for abortion? So, you know, this abortion question, uh, it raises the same question as, as slavery. And the pro-life argument to our brethren, to our countrymen, is similar to Lincoln's about uh, slavery to the South when he said, you look at these people and you may want to unperson them. You may find it convenient to unperson them, but you know in your heart it's not so, right? That's why the pro-life side is showing these images, right? It's saying, look at this being, study the genetics, right? But look too, at the at the the baby in that womb, right? Um, and you know what this is. You know what being this is, and you know that whatever you could get by ending this life isn't worth it because this is a person, right? And that's the appeal. That's the moral appeal that we're making. Um, and and the reality is that if you once accept, Lincoln did say rightly that if you once accept 
uh, that there is such a thing as rightly taking personhood away from a class of people, then you have created the tyranny of the majority. And maybe you will be in the majority for a long, long time. But one day, right, you too will be inconvenienced. Maybe you'll get very old and the state won't want to take care of you. And they'll simply say, well, you know, at a certain point as life expires, we don't just, you know, it's not really a ending a life to, to just, you know, euthanize certain old, old people, right? Somewhere along the line, if you admit this principle, you lose for yourself the protection that you have denied to the unborn. Um, and, and so this is what raises for me the question, well, okay, so yes, states actually do uh, decide on murder laws. And certain laws uh, are so, sort of different around the edges. There are, you know, different questions of things like manslaughter and how to, how to uh, prosecute murder in different states. So, so on that level, actually murder is a, is, a, is a state's issue. But it's not a state's issue to the extent that a state could simply decide, well, it's not actually murder if you kill uh, a child, or it's not actually murder if you kill a black person, right? That would be a, an affront to our country, just as it would be an affront to God. And the Supreme Court would be within its rights to say this does not fit in the Constitution. This law doesn't fit. So even though the states are tasked with making certain laws, um, not all of those laws have complete and 180 degree or 360 degree latitude for them, right? Um, and so I would suggest that at least at a philosophical level, um, it's quite possible that this is an issue that the court or uh, indeed the Constitution could address, right? Maybe the Constitution doesn't say explicitly who is a person, but maybe it could, right? Or maybe the, the court does need to say, well, it's our job to interpret this language, right? And so when, when the, for example, when the second uh, amendment talks about arms, right? It's the court's job to decide whether indeed that that word applies to modern guns, right? And we believe that it does, but it's their decision, right? And in part, at least they, as they did recently in this, in, in these decisions, uh, they, they did in fact make some arguments about what that language means, right? Similarly, no law respecting the establishment of religion, right? Well, what's a religion? Um, the constitution doesn't define it, but the court uh, has a role to play in, in deciding what's meant by that and what things qualify. Um, and so the court may have a role to play in deciding what qualifies as a person, right? Um, it may not be the case that, uh, as Alito says, the court has no role to play. Um, it might be a, a matter of constitutional interpretation. But I said at the beginning, I was going to say, why, why might he not have gone there, even if maybe he does sort of believe that the unborn are, are people? Well, there is a, a, a case to be made, and, and my friend Michael Knowles suggested this, there is a case to be made here for prudence, right? Um, one of the things that the court was doing, besides just overturning Roe specifically because it was a bad law, right? Uh, or a bad decision, rather. One of the things the court was doing uh, is it was restoring a little bit of trust in our Republican system. It was saying it, it was never the court's right to just take this issue entirely into its own hands and write what basically amounted to laws. Um, and now we're, we're setting this to rights. Um, and one of the things that Aristotle says is, you know, bad laws need to be changed and bad decisions can be overturned. Um, but you also need to be careful with it because overturning the law too much in and of itself uh, causes a certain uh, un unsettlement, a certain unease in the uh, regime. And it makes people unable to trust the, the laws, because what if they will just change tomorrow? So you can't flip flop back and forth too much. So I wonder whether what one thing this decision does is it gets us out of a situation where we're just grabbing control of the court with each new presidency and flip flopping back and forth. Maybe the maybe the Democrats pack the court and then they get a, a new decision that, that reinstates Roe. And maybe then, you know, we get the court back and we add 10 new justices and they, you know, overturn Roe again. We don't want to get into that situation. Uh, it would be unsettling for our regime, destabilizing for our already precarious situation. And so now what we've done is we've said, OK, 
we've taken the court out of the issue entirely. The people get to argue. And indeed, whatever else happens, right, the people have a say, surely, in, in debating this because sovereignty ultimately extends from us. And so, you know, we will now have these arguments in our states. And one of the things that will happen is the actual consequences of the left's philosophy will become manifest in deep blue states. In California, you are going to see horrific things um, as, as they manifest the nature of their philosophy, which has unpersoned an entire class of people. Um, we're going to fight this fight in the states. I don't think there's any getting around that. There is going to be a period of time when we fight this fight in the states. But if we are able to make the case to our fellow citizens um, that in fact these are people, um, then the way around this without war, right, without fighting uh, for each, uh, with each other over this fundamental question um, is by a constitutional amendment. I mean, we could write it into law, but there is always, again, the possibility you oh, flip the Congress and the law changes and you just get back and forth. And this question is too important to be flip-flopping on in the long run. We may, you know, prudence may dictate that we have some time, um, but I, I am coming around to thinking that in fact, what we ought to be aiming for, even if it takes a long time, um, is to persuade our fellow men to elect people who will amend the Constitution to say what a person is, right? To say that a human being's life begins at conception. Um, that is coming to be my dream, right, for the future in this post-Roe era. Um, and I would love to hear from you if you want to come over. Uh, we have a, a locals page, youngheretics.com forward slash locals. I would love to hear from you on there uh, what you think, whether your thinking on this has changed at all, because this represents a real shift for me. I still think that there's going to be a long period of, of states, uh, you know, making their own decisions. And I also think, by the way, that, you know, those famous edge cases, like what do we do in the instance when the mother is threatened, right? Those are a good example of the kinds of things that might be different state to state, just as murder laws are slightly different state to state. Um, but ultimately, as I'm asking these, these first principle questions, how do we resolve what seems to me a fundamental regime level question about the nature of our constitution that probably isn't actually within the remit of popular sovereignty and states' rights? Um, how do we resolve that without going to war? Um, the answer is gradual persuasion leading up to a, uh, a constitutional amendment. That's where I'm at right now. Um, it's uh, early days, and this is just the beginning of this whole debate, uh, because thank God Roe has been overturned. Um, but I would love to hear from you more about what you think. Um, and we will discuss that over on the Young Heretics Locals page. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm Spencer Clavin, and this is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.